0: welcome to the paddock pass podcast 2019 is underway in the moto gp world my name is neil morrison your host for today and with me is the ever dependable david emmett uh, we're both fresh back off the plane from qatar and what a weekend of uh, action and excitement we have to discuss before us david how are you doing
1: um still sort of recovering from uh still recovering from the flight frankly you say we're fresh off the plane i'm certainly not not fresh at all but uh, uh i take your meaning we're not long off the plane but uh, uh a decent nice sleep would do me wonders
0: <laughs> yeah the punishing schedule at qatar isn't really the best for uh for us journalists having to work late into the night and then wake up early in the morning but uh yeah sure it's a one-off event uh during the year. Uh, now, it was a pretty sensational MotoGP race that we witnessed. In fact, three fantastic races, Moto3, Moto2. certainly didn't disappoint either. We had pretty much a rematch of uh, the Marc marquez andrea showed showdown in MotoGP. Just to 0.023 of a second was in it at the uh, checkered flag after 22 laps of racing. Uh, the closest top 15 in history. Again, we've said that so many times across the past two years, uh, but that clo- that top 15 is just getting ever closer. 15 seconds covered first to 15th in Sunday's race. However, perhaps the big talking point from the weekend came after the race, uh, and that was uh, when four factories protested one of the parts that uh, Ducati riders Andrea Dovizioso, Danilo Petrucci, and Jack Miller uh, were using uh, during the race weekend. Now, David, uh, what was the part that uh, these these guys, uh, or sorry, that the other factories took exception to?
1: Well, what happened was uh, all three. Uh, well, all three GP19s were using this the sort of uh, aerodynamic add-ons which. Consist of two covers over the brakes and a scoop on the rear swing arm, and um, the it was this was especially particularly the scoop on the rear swing arm that the factories were uh, uh, protesting against. Um, uh, they say it's for uh, an aerodynamic effect, and Ducati say that it's for cooling the rear tyre. Um, but basically, it just sort of exposes a massive loophole. In uh, in the aerodynamic regulations, and that's that that's the that's at the root of all these problems.
0: Okay, now Sunday's result that is worth stating. Currently remains in standing. That's the official word. Um, basically, the protest was thrown out by the FIM stewards, um, and the four factories that protested, Honda, Suzuki, Aprilia, and KTM, have then appealed. Uh, the FIM steward's decision to reject their protest and uh, the matter has been taken to uh, the MotoGP Court of Appeals which should be decided, we think, before the Grand Prix of Argentina which takes place at the end of March. Now, just to avoid any, any confusion or to clear up a few things, uh, basically there is a, a timeline, um, as we understand it, of how this situation has de- developed and essentially escalated. Um, basically, um The MotoGP technical director and the factories agreed on some changes for this year at the end of, well, in fact, during 2018. Um, What was it that they agreed? What are the changes, David, that have come into effect for this year?
1: Uh, Well, what is happening this year is basically that um, uh, we have uh, an end to the removable parts, uh, which means that uh, last year, for example, you saw especially Ducati doing this, but also um, Honda doing it a little bit as well. Uh, what they were doing is they homologated a fairing um, with detachable uh, sort of winglets. Well, they're not really winglets, but we, we'll call them winglets for the, um, uh, for the sake of, uh, e- well, yes, ease of reference. So um, last year, Ducati and Honda were uh, adding winglets and taking them off, uh, and that counted as a single fairing. Um, uh, this year they banned detachable parts, um, which means uh, you have uh, two fairings: one which you homologate at the start, of the, homologate at the start of the season, and one which you homologate um, uh, later on if you uh, if you want to bring an update. Um, the uh fairing the outer shape of the fairing has to remain unchanged at all times um uh which basically means um sort of you know the the, the winglet shape uh, always has to be there um and if you want to change it you have to bring an update um but the trouble is uh the FIM rules only talk about, well, they talk about the aero body, and the aero body consists of two parts, which is one part is the front mudguard or fender, and the other part is the fairing. And the real problem here is that uh, Ducati have uh, attached devices to uh, the swing arm and uh, the bottom part of the wheel, which are not covered by the rules. And so... um, because this was happening, and because uh, I, I think everyone was inspired by uh, Yamaha last year when they brought their rain deflector, which also, which was also attached to the uh, rear swing arm, and uh, that sort of set in, uh, uh, well, that that set in motion a long path towards. Um, people getting the idea of okay well if we can attach something to the rear swing arm then we can use this for aerodynamic effect and uh, Danny Aldrich has basically been reacting to that from uh, uh, from then on
0: okay now uh, reading different uh, interviews with different personnel from different manufacturers in the days after the uh, first Grand Prix of the season, we basically have a rough timeline of how things developed. Um, Now, Aprilia say that after they saw Yamaha's device that David was just talking about there, um, at the end of last year, they thought that this may be an avenue for development. Um, So basically, Massimo Revola, the new CEO of Aprilia Racing, uh, he went to Danny Aldridge, um, at the start of this year, and he inquired about whether this would be open to development. Now, he says that he got an email from Danny Aldridge, who sent an email to all the manufacturers on the 19th of February, and said that this device, or some kind of device attached to the swing arm, can only be used to clear rain. Now, then, there are some claims from Suzuki's David A. that, basically, after that, Ducati went to Danny Aldridge and explained that if they had a device that wasn't used for aerodynamic purposes but was instead used to cool the rear tire, uh, would that be okay? And there was a second uh, set of directives um, or amendments, we could say, to the rules sent out on the 2nd of March. And it was then that uh, Danny Aldridge said that they could be used uh, for cooling tires and for deflecting rain away from the rear tire but still insisted that it shouldn't be used for purpose purposes. Um, David, what happened then? F- from then,
1: yes, on the second of February, Danny Aldridge sent out a second of March uh, clarification. Um, in fact, he sent out two clarifications. There was the fifth, and then a sixth version uh, of this document, which went out, which um, uh, clarified exactly what these parts could be used for even though they're not actually specified in the rules, uh, Danny Aldridge said well, we're going to use these parts, or we're going to allow these parts under certain circumstances only if they're used for uh, funnelling water away from the rear wheel or keeping debris off of the rear wheel or for cooling the rear tyre which is what um, uh, Ducati wanted uh, to use it for that was approved, that was um, uh, Danny Aldridge looked at Ducati's parts and said yeah Okay, these are all uh, these are all legal. Um, Aprilia and KTM then uh, told Ducati that if they raced with those parts, and they would protest them. Um, Ducati ignored the threats and then went on to um, race them anyway. And immediately after the race, uh, four factories: Ducati, Honda. or oh, sorry, uh, Honda, Suzuki, Aprilia, and um, KTM all protested the use of uh, the the parts on uh, all three bikes which actually used them. And um, that was what was uh, put forward to the uh, FIM stewards. Uh, The FIM stewards uh, rejected the the protest and so it goes on to uh, the Court of Appeal.
0: Okay, now I guess the big question we have to ask, Dave, is will this actually affect the result? Can you see... A case uh, wherein Davizioso was basically disqualified from the first race of the season.
1: Uh, it, it could, re- I mean, it could. If the um, if these parts are ruled illegal, um, then the MotoGP Court of Appeal um, is free to impose any publish uh, any uh, any punishment they see fit. Now, um, that can include disqualification. It can include a loss of championship points. Uh, It could include a time penalty, for example. Um, It could include all sorts of uh, bits and pieces. I think that sort of in terms of fairness, because this is not something that Dovicioso has anything to do with, this is a choice by Ducati. um, uh, I would suspect that the worst case scenario would be that um, if uh, Ducati were found to have breached the rules, uh, then Dovizioso would get to keep his 25 points, but uh, Ducati would be docked 25 points um, in the manufacturers' championship. And I seem to recall something similar happen uh, uh, happening recently, although I can't quite put my finger on what the um, uh, uh, what the what the precedent was.
0: Okay, I guess another question we have to ask is: um, Ducati have clearly seen um, a loophole in the rules here. The others have protested that is this SAR grapes from the four other factories?
1: I suspect it's annoyance by a I mean, there's well, there's there's lots of things here. First of all, there is the problem of aerodynamics. Aerodynamics. Uh, I mean, we got rid of the spec. We got rid of uh, the proprietary software, ECU software, um, because it made it impossible for factories to catch up. Um, and you could solve problems just by throwing more and more, uh, more and more money at it. So, uh, at it. So, the factories with the most money and the factories with the most resources were the most successful. Um, aerodynamics is very similar to that. You can solve a problem just by throwing more computational power at it. I mean, uh, if you look at some of the F1 teams, they just have armies of aerodynamicists uh, running uh, uh, computational fluid dynamics models. Um, uh, at uh, and you know uh, testing out a trillion different variations of, of of how slight modifications to a wing or a winglet or something might work. Um, so the factories want to clamp down on costs because there is no way that a factory like Aprilia could compete with um, the might of Honda uh, or even Ducati. Just you know in terms of sheer cost. But I think there's also a little bit of sour grapes on a prettiest part because they asked, you know, can we fit this part here? And Danny Aldridge, seeing that people are going to start using aerodynamics in a part which, you know, he hadn't covered in the rules, thought, no, you can't do that. But then Ducati come back and uh, have this part, which they say is for cooling the tire, uh, and their part is allowed. So there's, uh, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of everything, to be perfectly frank.
0: OK. And then I guess the next obvious question is, does this part help with uh, the aerodynamics of Chikadi's, uh GP19 bike?
1: Well, I mean, I've I've been told I, uh, um, I interviewed Paolo Ciabatti after the uh, uh, after the race when all this came out. And he said, uh, no, this thing is for cooling the tyre. Um, it's uh, absolutely for cooling the tyre. Um and of course this is this is one thing that we absolutely know about uh, Gigi D'Elinia and I mean he's completely obsessed with um uh, with time management he believes that tyre management is the, the 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 key to success and uh, the fact that uh, Dovichoso has been so good over recent years suggests that he's right um so it's completely uh, plausible that D- D- D'Elinia thought well maybe if we can funnel some air onto that um, uh, onto the rear part, uh, onto the rear tire, then it'll help uh, sort of reduce the temperature. And of course, the other thing is they tested it first with both Jack Miller and Daniela Petrucci, and both of those riders have had problems uh, with uh, uh, with tire temperatures. Whereas Dovi has only used it in the race and um obviously in the race you uh, dovi is much lighter he doesn't have so many problems with the tires but uh, you know 22 laps is a long time by anyone's standard um and so every every little bit uh, uh, every little bit helps now it could be that, um, as well as cooling the tire, this also provides some kind of, you know, aerodynamic force in helping the rear tire grip better, um, uh, travel over the gro- over the, the ground more smoothly, or whatever. Um, uh, but if this is a secondary effect of what their primary objective is, is it still legal? That's the trouble. It all becomes very, very complicated and very very difficult to know who um uh it, it's hard to, it you know It it's hard to say uh, uh to to tell the difference if you like
0: yeah no i saw um we're recording this on the wednesday after the first race of the season uh, there was a story on the italian website gp1 it uh, came out today, and it was Gigi Dall'ena basically speaking to a uh, veteran Italian journalist, uh, Paolo Scalera, and he launches a pretty impassioned defence of Ciccarelli's uh, methods and their decision to run this uh, swing arm device uh, during Sunday's race. And there was a, one interesting thing where he says basically this regulation it should have been more detailed and more descriptive than any rule in the rulebook. Um, it really shouldn't have been open to such uh, wild interpretation. It should have been a bit more strict um, in how it was worded uh, and let. Left um, less open to interpretation. Um, Speaking to some people that were involved or that are involved with um, some of the factories that protested, um, they're essentially saying that their um, engineers um, have worked out that this has a serious effect in terms of serious aerodynamic benefits. This part, Um, if you run basic tests, it shows that this has uh, or this puts more downforce on the rear tire, um, which basically would say that Ducati, um, well, they're essentially breaking the rules. Um, However, as you just said, David, um, there are primary and secondary effects and this isn't so clear cut in what is illegal. Is it illegal to run this if the aerodynamic thing is a secondary effect?
1: Yeah, I mean to me the biggest problem is that this is um it's a completely new area. It's an area which um nobody really expected and uh to be perfectly honest um inside of Dorner, there isn't the expertise to truly understand all of the um uh or all of the possible effects. That's not surprising. It's hardly, you know, it's not a criticism of Danny Aldrich or even Corrado Cecinelli the um Uh, uh, the technical the um, director of technology it's just a fact that when what happens is factories see a particular avenue which they think might be interesting to explore and they um, try and leverage it as far as possible and uh, the rule makers end up trying to uh, trying to catch up so it i mean i think if i was Uh, if I was Danny Aldridge um, and certainly if I was Corrado Cechinelli, I I would be uh, doing my best to hire a a very experienced aerodynamicist uh, to try and um, uh, draw up a set of rules which would uh, sort of rein it all in again but then, you know, we see this in F1, I mean like I don't follow F1, I'm not sure you're a uh, you're a massive F1 fan either, Neil, but I mean we both know enough that um, every time F1 tries to rein in aerodynamics, they come up with something new um, to try and get around the rules. And even when you write really descriptive, uh, a really descriptive set of rules, an extensive set of rules, um, the first thing that an engineer does is go through looking for loopholes and tries to exploit them.
0: Yeah, you certainly can't um, criticize Gigi Delineo for not um, studying the rulebook attentively enough, for sure. Um, One of the things that I picked up from some of the protesting factories is they're slightly disappointed that uh, Chicadi wasn't made uh, to present its data to Danny Aldridge and to basically show, look, here's the data, you can show the forces on the tire, you can show the way the the, uh, the air is, is curving around the machine. Um, the other factories feel that basically, uh, if linear says that there's no aerodynamic uh, benefit from this device, then they should be made to go with some of their data engineers to Danny Aldridge and to prove it. And that apparently um, hasn't been done. Um, and that seems to be something that is uh, slightly concerning some of the other factories as well. Um, one of the things that someone related to one of the protesting factories said to me, this is 2019, you know, that we should be able to have more professionalism in this side. It should be uh, policed a little more tightly. And uh, Davide Brivio said basically that um, we did this to clarify the situation once and for all. He doesn't actually want to do this to, to try and penalize De Vizioso. I think Pit Byer from KTM said something similar. It's just to, to basically know, okay, should we now go down this avenue and put potentially develop similar devices for the swing arm, or shouldn't we? Um, so it seems that they are looking for a bit of further clarification on the matter.
1: It's quite understandable from their point of view that they uh, that these rules need to, to, to be clarified, but it's just... Um uh, it, it, it's really it's really difficult. Uh, the, the, the interesting thing is, that, of course, that when this does go to the MotoGP Court of Appeal, um, uh, that court can call, can ask for the data from uh, Gigi Dall'ena or from from Ducati. Uh, they can also call independent witnesses to uh, give their opinion on the um, uh, uh, on the data. So uh, it's entirely possible that this will. Um, That this data will actually be be submitted to the court, but of course the danger is that, certainly for you know Ducati, they do this development. They don't want all of this to come out. Um, it, it, they want to keep this to themselves as much as possible. You know, they, they're they developing for themselves, not for anyone else. Uh, and so they don't want to release too much data. They don't want, want to end up releasing so much data that it makes it easy for other people to copy them. Um, so, yeah, the, I think the appeals process is going to be very uh, interesting. Um, the uh, MotoGP Court of Appeal has to publish... Uh, The the, you know any decision and and the reason for any decision. So it's going to be really fascinating to see what it actually decides on and how it goes about deciding.
0: Okay, so um, turning our attentions to the racing on Sunday because it was really quite sensational. And it's a bit of a shame, uh, to be honest, that that has taken a bit of a side uh, side role uh, compared to all the uh, the controversy that happened in the wake of the race. But it was. Uh, quite stunning uh, opening to the season. Not only was Andrea De Vizioso's victory margin over Marc Marquez uh, incredibly small, 0.023 seconds. It was the closest uh, top 15 of all time, 70 years of Grand Prix at uh, Premier Class racing. It was the second closest top 10 of all time as well. Um, and essentially, we just had a Moto3 race on our hands. We had uh, eight guys fighting at the front. Um, we had both factory Ducatis. We had two Hondas. We had both factory Yamahas, both factory Suzuki's. Um, and it was tremendous. And from this, David, can we basically can we basically glean that um, the factory Ducati and the factory Honda basically picked up where they left off? Are things as they were at the end of last year?
1: Pretty much so, considering that the um, uh, numbers one and two in the of last year's championship ended up uh, fighting for the for the win again. Um, it was the same battle as last year at uh, Qatar. It was the same battle that we, we've seen. Uh, maybe a dozen times over the past two years, Dovicioso versus versus Marquez. Absolutely fantastic uh, battle. And again, it was um, a race where... Um, it was Doviciosa's intelligence versus uh, versus Marquez's sort of talent and determination really because um uh, really slowed the race up tried to manage the race and save the tires for the end so that he could make a uh, uh, make a push and um uh, Mar- Marquez just went uh, I suppose he benefited uh, he benefited from that and and, and made a uh, a mad lunge at the end
0: yeah, it was typical stuff from Marquez. I particularly enjoyed the moment in the press conference after the race when uh, he was basically stating matter-of-factly uh, that he had to make a move in Davizio. So he said, "Well, you know, the gap was there, so I had to do it. I wouldn't have been able to to live with myself for uh, the two weeks before Argentina if I hadn't tried it at least." Um, this by all accounts, was a pretty sensational start to the season for Marcus. We all know that he had some serious issues with a shoulder that was operated on at the start of December. Um, we thought it might have taken a couple of rounds for him to get fully up to speed, but for him to be up there fighting all the way with Davizioso until the last corner, um, quite ominous, I think we can say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, I mean, I think David Chiosa made his life a little bit difficult by actually trying to slow the pace up and trying to uh, manage the race because um, because it, he was taking it a little bit easier. That made it easier for, that made it less physically demanding for Marquez. And actually, you know, with Marquez coming back from his, from his shoulder, he's not fully fit Um it made the race a lot more, uh, a lot easier for him. And you know, Mark Mark said something about that in the press conference as well. That uh, uh, you know, it was actually it was actually easier for uh, for him because the pace wasn't so high. So you sort of wonder um, if it was almost uh, uh, a a strategy in uh, by Davide
0: Yeah, for sure, and it was um, it was interesting because. It seemed that Davizios certainly had the pace to go uh, to go quicker. Alex Rins as well was another guy who finished just off the podium. Uh, he was a tenth back of Cal Crutchlow in third, uh, just under half a second back of Davizios at the checkered flag. The Suzuki, in certain points of the race, Rins made fantastic early progress from tenth on the grid, climbed right the way through the field, uh, was looking, I think, as aggressive as we've seen him in the uh, the MotoGP class since his uh, debut back in 2017, um, and Rins. Was saying after the race that he was really angry in his helmet. He was frustrated. He felt that these guys in front of him were playing with him, and uh, he was the only guy. Whenever uh, he went into the lead, the Davizios Dovizio, almost recognised. He had to uh, he had to take this guy right back because he could see that Rins was so quick.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. And you could you could see what uh uh Dolly's strategy was, which which was because I mean Rince was rode an absolutely fantastic race, a very entertaining race as well. Um and he was obviously much much quicker around the um uh, sort of uh, around the corners, but um uh because Rince couldn't really get enough of a gap over uh, sort of uh, around the the back of the circuit as soon as they hit the straight. Um, Dolciosa just blew past um, uh, the the Suzuki. It was almost embarrassing. Um, it was a little bit reminiscent of two thousand and seven, I suppose, almost with uh, when when Casey Stoner was just blasting past everyone down the straight at Qatar in the first race as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, is this um, is this how the season is going to play out, Dave? I mean, in the past we've seen um, races at Qatar. Uh, we've jumped to conclusions afterwards, and. Sometimes it hasn't quite been uh, indicative of how the season has played out. Um, is this the case? Do you think um, this may be, I don't know, some guys here are strong that maybe won't be so, so strong or, for example, vice versa? Uh, guys like Danilo Petrucci, who is sixth, Maverick Vinal is seventh. I mean, we're probably going to see those guys a bit closer to the front or at least uh, in the podium positions more often than not this year, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, say, I mean, it's a good point. It's really difficult to say because... Uh, it was a race which Davinci also managed, um, which means that he's very comfortable. Um, it was a race where Marquez, even with his shoulder um, uh, still giving him uh, problems and him not being at, uh, at uh, you know a hundred percent. Um, He finished second quite comfortably and uh, did well. Uh, Cal Crutchlow had a fantastic race, um, uh, coming back off of an injury which you know almost destroyed his foot and which he thought he would never walk again. He still finished the third. I think, to be frank, seeing both Suzuki's up at the front means that the the uh, but with Joanne Mir, who rode an absolutely fantastic race uh, and Alex Rins with those two being at the front, I think that's a sign that the, the, the Suzuki's going to be um, strong. Valentino Rossi finishes fifth, um, saying the only reason he finished fifth is because uh, the, the the pace was slow at the front. Maverick Vinales goes from first to what is it, sixth or seventh? um uh, d- d- all of a sudden realizing that qualifying isn't racing um so i think the, i don't think it's indic I, I don't think it's indicative i do i think it is indicative of the fact that the field is closer together again this uh uh, uh, the, uh this this year for sure i mean how do you feel about what did you think about the race neil
0: um yeah i think uh, basically it showed the two strongest guys in the championship fighting at the front, Davizioso and Marquez, I foresee another scrap between them in the championship this year. Um, And yeah, I have to be honest, I think if if Honda, if Marquez and Cal Crutchlow are this strong at Qatar, despite a winter of uh, recuperation, recovery, um, despite that bike not quite being fully dialed in, um, we do know that Honda has Honda engineers have basically tried to change the character a little bit off this uh, 2019 RC213V with Jorge Lorenzo's arrival, obviously. Uh, He's quite a dramatically different riding style to both Marquez and Crutchlow, and it has been notable to uh, hear both of those guys talk about the front end of the bike. In the past, it was a bike needed to be ridden really aggressively on the front, and they say that they still haven't quite got that feeling with the turning, the late braking ability. Um, and uh, indeed, I think Marquez said after the race they were basically having to ride uh, with the rear tyre to steer and to get round corners. And Marquez, in the end, uh, really burnt up his rear tyre. And Davizioso noted that uh, whenever he made the mistake in the penultimate lap and then had to follow him for a couple of corners. He noticed that Marquez basically had no rear grip left because he was having to use the rear tyre so much. Um, so I think um, Ducati obviously, you know, they always go well. Uh, at Qatar, but for Honda to be in this strong state, um, I think, um, well, it bodes extremely well for them. Um, And again, as you were saying, Dave, the fact that both Suzuki's were there, Rin's making a a sensational recovery. Um, He crashed twice at turn two on Saturday. Couldn't find the feeling that he had throughout testing on Friday. You just thought, is Alex maybe... Crumbling a little bit, you know, weight of expectation is genuinely on his shoulders for probably the first time in his MotoGP career. Is he crumbling a little bit under this uh, this pressure, under this gaze where people are talking him up as being one of the favourites for the race win? I thought he was sensational in the race. Maybe a more mature Alex Rins could have finished on the podium, maybe could have even won that race. I think the potential certainly was there for Suzuki and the fact that Joanne Mayer was there uh, throughout. I mean, Mayer was sensational uh, leading, um, or sorry, among the leaders uh, in the first half of the race. Um, yeah, I think those those three factories all have genuine reason to be positive. And then Yamaha, I mean, it's <laughs> it's... It, is the glass half full? Is it half empty? It's always difficult to judge. You know, Rossi's performance was fantastic, rising from 14th on the grid to finish fifth, just over half a second off the race winner. But there's that thing with Vinales. I was expecting him, essentially, I thought after qualifying, he had everything in place to win the race. And he did. He essentially did have everything in place to win the race, but um, he couldn't overtake anyone. He found that he was having to take different lines. Um, riding in a big group of people and you could see repeatedly he was attempting to pass outbreak um, Joanne Mir and Danilo Petrucci he couldn't do it and um, yeah so what I took away is basically Honda, Ducati and Suzuki are all incredibly strong and Yamaha there's that kind of question mark that uh, um, you know you hear Rossi speaking afterwards that nothing's changed essentially from 2018 they are where they were a year ago and we know that Rossi obviously finished on the podium in Qatar last year that wasn't exactly indicative of how the season played out with uh, Yamaha encountering so many struggles. Um, so uh, yeah, so my take my take would be that uh, Ducati Honda and Suzuki are in, in pretty good shape. Yamaha, we're not so sure. Uh,
1: do you think uh, that uh, everyone should be? afraid because of just how strong the Hondas were. I mean, you know, we got Mark Marquez and Cal Crutchlow both banged up. Uh, They're on a bike where the the engine is sorted, but the rest of the chassis really still needs work. Um, They were using front tyres which didn't really suit them, which weren't really stiff enough, and yet they still finished second and third. That would, be, that would be a little bit terrifying if you're uh, uh, Andrea Dolicioso and Ducati, right?
0: Yes, exactly. And as Marquez liked to point out throughout the weekend, Qatar is one of his worst tracks. You know, I think he's using that to, to, to basically build up his own efforts and to maybe strike a little bit of fear into his rivals because he has consistently been toward the front in Qatar in previous years. But yeah, the Honda package does seem to be pretty good. And considering that essentially, uh, for two months during the preseason, Stefan Bradle was steering the development sh- direction on that ship because of injuries to Crutchlow. Uh, Marquez wasn't quite able to ride as he knows he loves at Sepang. Um, and of course, Lorenzo wasn't even present there. Um, the fact that they're still finishing second and third in this first race of the season uh, after all those tribulations through the winter, I think it's, it's quite an astonishing job. And yes, I would say, David, that it is very ominous indeed.
1: Certainly, I think that's a. a it's a, certainly a, a much stronger result than I would have expected from Honda. Just you know, going on sort of pre-season form, and uh, you would have expected um uh, maybe Danilo Petrucci would certainly would have expected the Suzuki's to have been or uh, the Rins to be be on the podium. And yet, there we are. Here we are with two Hondas there. So. Um, that's uh that's that's definitely a concern. I, just one thing about Suzuki. One thing that I really um this sort of struck me is, uh, I think this was a race in which Alex Rinz learned a lot of racecraft because it was, to be honest, it looked like uh, Alex Rince was the fastest guy on track, um, and yet three people finished ahead of him because um, he was trying to go all out and uh, they kept on. Boxing him in and beating him up and making sure that he um, uh, he couldn't get away.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that, David. And uh, we saw the sort of aggression in his riding um, at the beginning of the race. Um, can we count Rins as a, as a title contender? Is he going to give Davicioz Seuss- or Marquez a bit of a run in the championship?
1: I uh, absolutely hundred percent. I mean, um, just the way that he's carrying himself he really he's, he's he's really oozing confidence he's really uh um uh he's riding absolutely superbly um uh, again i think i think he's going to struggle to beat marquez um and Dovicioso as well just uh because of experience and racecraft. i think but uh, you know the bike is pretty good it's down on top speed but there's only gonna be a few um uh, a, a few tracks where that counts Um, But, yeah, Rince has got the talent. Uh, He's got the he's got the bike. Certainly, it's sort of, you know, more flowing circuits. Uh, I I think he's definitely going to make a run for the championship sort of quite a long way uh, into the season. you know, but it's tough to beat Mark Marquez and it's, and it's tough to beat Andrea Dovichioso right at the moment.
0: Yeah, for sure. Rin's carrying on that uh, succession of top six finishes that dates all the way back to last September at Misano. He's finished in the top six in every race since then, um, which I think makes him the most consistent performer. Yeah, if you go back that far, um, I think he's almost doing... Um, something that Vinales did back in 2016 that fantastic season that he had uh, in his second year with Suzuki and MotoGP Um, when if a podium is not possible, he'll pick up a 5th or a 4th and uh, in the end that was good enough for Vinales to finish uh, 4th in the championship that year Um, and I can see Rins doing something similar um, this year and it certainly seems that Suzuki's overtaking Yamaha uh, because Yamaha was always known for being a sweet handling bike for being able to carry mountains of corner speed I think Suzuki um, Daviti was called it embarrassing the, the the speed difference through those fast the three fast right-handers um, just before the penultimate left on the track or the penultimate corner on the track. Uh, you could see visibly just how quick he was there and um, yeah the Suzuki. I mean it's it's uh, it's in sensational shape. I think it's they're probably in the best shape that they have been uh, since they came back to the, the MotoGP class in 2015.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean uh, the the bike is clearly incredibly capable and as you say I mean Rince could put that bike wherever he wanted really. I mean he was um uh, where the Ducati was embarrassing the Suzuki on straight line speed. The Suzuki was embarrassing, you know, the, the Honda and the um, uh, and the Ducati just on uh, you know, corner speed and agility and precision. Rince uh, could throw that uh, uh, that sort of like wherever he, wherever he wanted. Uh, and also have to say, Juan Mir had a fantastic race for uh, for a rookie. And he wasn't really someone that we'd been thinking about. Now you've, I think you've sort of done quite a lot with, uh, or you've written quite a lot about Juan Mir sort of in in the past. And were you surprised at how good he was?
0: I was, David. Yeah, to be honest, um, I had pinned. Um, certainly, if we went off. Um, pace at the pre-season test in Qatar, if we went off uh, FP4 pace I had um, Fabio Quartararo pinned uh, to be challenged among the leading names I thought Pekka Banyaya would probably have a stint towards the leading guys, obviously Quartararo um, uh, stalled on the grid uh, Banyaya uh, suffered a collision at the first corner he found that one of his um, the, the winglets on the right side of his fairing uh, were damaged, basically came off the bike was just too difficult to ride um, after that, so he had to pull in and retire, but yeah, for Mir to be jumping up and to be so quick, um, so soon, uh, yeah, it did take me back a little bit. Um, the thing is, though, that Suzuki, I mean, it's clearly a fantastically agile and rideable bike. Uh, Mir was at home on it. Um, pretty much from the second day of testing at Valencia last year, we could see um, some of the lines that he was holding through, uh, some of the corners that demand a little bit more corner speed. He really did uh, take an instant liking to it. Um, And, yeah, we can't forget that it's a fantastic team that, for, it's it's a fantastic environment for a rookie to step into uh, Vinales, flourished there Rin's flourished there by the end of his first season um, and the team is more stable than it was back then the bike is better than it was back in 2015 and 2017 um, and Mir I mean you don't win 10 races in Moto3 when the races are that tightly contested without being that little bit special um, and I think it was the the start of something quite special in the MotoGP career of uh, Joanne Mayer, to be honest. Um, I can see similar performances where he's fighting in the leading group uh, throughout this season.
1: But yeah, I mean, that's, to have such a strong debut suggests that he's in for a really, really strong... Um uh for a really strong season it was a, a good point you made about um Benya that we didn't get to see Benya because uh, basically in the first corner he lost his winglets so he wasn't um uh, you know he said the bike was pulling to the left and that meant it was really difficult to uh, to, to actually uh, ride uh, what i did find uh, interesting was Juan Mir's comments about what the, the biggest thing he would learned was about sort of you know tire tire preservation and that meant uh, braking harder um, and being more smooth with the gas to key, to, to to keep the rear tire to, to the end, because um, he said you know braking doesn't use so much to tire as as acceleration does, and this was something that uh, Miguel Oliveira uh, said exactly the same thing that you know like tire preservation. The first thing you learn from your first MotoGP race um, is uh, how to manage your tires all through the race, and it's something you can't really practice. Um, uh, practice during testing it's only something that you actually do when uh you're engaged in actually racing the rest of the pack
0: yeah for sure and if he's uh, still learning um such basic lessons of, uh, of of racecraft and showing so well i think um yeah there's a, there's enough to suggest that Joanne is in a, in a very good place indeed and um, moving to uh from suzuki to yamaha dave um we mentioned briefly there back that uh, it was one of those strange performances we don't know how to read uh, where they are exactly uh, what did you make of uh, Maverick Vinales is showing and also um, you were present in Qatar uh, partly uh, representing a uh, Dutch Eurosport in your role as Roving Pit Lane reporter I believe that you spoke to um, Yamaha's managing director Lynn Jarvis immediately after the race um, and his uh, reaction was quite interesting.
1: Uh, uh yeah because i I, I, mean, I went up to the yamaha garage to talk to Lynn jarvis and um uh, to congratulate him, uh, congratulate him on um uh, valentino rossi's uh, uh result and it was it, yeah it was a, it was a fantastic ride by rossi you know classic rossi 14th on the grid um uh, comes through to finish fifth and i think 6 tenths behind uh, behind the winner um under normal circumstances that's an outstanding ride um and uh, uh jarvis was yeah it was very complimentary about Rossi but then he immediately turns to start talking about uh about Maverick Vinales and saying that he was a bit disappointed uh in his result and you know there he is starting on pole uh but he ends up um uh, finishing what was it seventh um it's just uh and never really sort of contending um uh, and I was just uh, d- just now watching back the race, and he lo- he lost it all in the first, basically on the first lap. But by the end of the first lap, he was sixth, um, and th- that's just he's been practicing his starts, but he, but Vinyasa been practicing his starts, but he still still ends up um, just losing so much time in that uh, in that first few yeah in, in in those first few meters sort of thing, and it's just it's it's it must be incredibly frustrating for uh, sort of everyone around him because he seems much happier in um, uh, in his team with his new crew chief and all the rest of it.
0: Yeah, he seems much happier, much more settled, uh, a good deal calmer and in some ways the star of pre-season. I mean, if you look at testing performances, when he wasn't the fastest rider, he was the most consistent rider uh, a la uh, Sepang in uh, Malaysia at the start of February pole position uh, and a comfortable pole position as well riding alone on Saturday really I think showed just how confident he was he didn't need to wait for a toe or need to have anyone around him he was just out there cutting laps by himself Um, and uh, yeah then it was just some ways it was like watching a Vinales performance in 2018 Uh, there were those issues in the opening laps and uh, he just didn't really have an answer for the top six um, when it really mattered in those closing five laps. He had burnt up pretty much his rear tire, um, trying to... He was having to run different lines in the race uh, to what he usually does uh, like when he's out on his own, when he's out ahead, and you have to say that his, uh, his race racecraft and his aggression in the race has to be called into question. Um, but are there, are there positives? Uh, you know, looking at... Um, the reaction after the race, Dave. He, he certainly wasn't that monosyllabic uh, bundle of rage that we saw, we encountered so often last year. Um, when we went to Vinales' debrief, we saw new crew chief Esteban Garcia uh, warmly embracing him, um, getting all the members of Vinales' team together. Uh, Julian Simon, his new rider coach, um, some of the technicians from his side of the garage, almost giving them like a little pep talk, um, and. I think, you know, there is certainly reason to be positive. The potential is there. Uh, just a few small things need ironing out.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how small a thing it is, though, because um, uh, it does mean riding completely differently. We've spoken to this. We're uh, talking about World Superbikes with uh, with Steve English. Um, he's mentioned Alex Lowe's who spent the whole sort of winter trying to do the same thing which is stop riding uh, Yamaha lines which are these big sweeping lines which get you through the corner fast um, uh, but leave you completely open to anyone who's prepared to dive dive underneath you and and break very deep into the corner um, uh, and uh, so Alex Lowe's has been practising you know, more sort of point and squirt lines to try and ride more defensively and try to be fast that way. Uh, And I think this seems to be what um, Maverick Vinales is going to have to do. Uh, There will be tracks where he might be able to, you know, just disappear into the the distance. Um, But there will be too many times, because MotoGP is so close, that there'll be, you know, he'll have lots of riders around him uh, and he's going to get beaten up. And um, that's not... he's going to have to fix that. He's going to have to find something in his riding. He's going to have to change the way that he approaches his riding. uh, If he wants to uh, be successful in situations like that, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Similar issues for Maverick Vinales at the start of 2019. Um, So we have uh, talked a little bit about the race. Uh, We've talked a little bit about the protest. Um, I think it's time to move on, Dave, to uh, our winners and losers from the weekend. Um, no, this is a feature that we introduced, uh, I think, a few years back. We're going to continue with it in 2019. Um, Div, if you had to pick one big race, well, one big winner from this first race weekend of 2019, uh, who would you go for?
1: I uh, do you know what? There are so many winners from this race. I mean, apart from the fans who got served up an absolutely fantastic, uh, uh, absolutely fantastic race, um, but. I think I am going to go with uh, Juan Mir just because he was so fast. He was running right at the front in that front group uh, for most of the race. You learn so much when you're riding behind uh, uh, other riders. It's the one thing which every rider says that's... uh, you know, they ride behind someone else and they understand so many different things. They can see where people are breaking. They can see how they're adapting their riding styles to understand, um, uh, you know, to manage tyres. Um, because you, you can hide lots of things in practice. So if someone is riding behind you in practice, there's lots of things you can hide. But when you're racing, uh, you can't hide anything. Um, you have to ride to make the best of your race and the fact that everyone that the rider behind you can see what you're doing is just the price that you pay for competing so I think Juan Mir for, for that result that um, outstanding start to the season to be that close um, yeah I mean to be that strong and also to gain that much experience in the first race I think um, for me he's my biggest winner
0: yeah, good shot that, Dave. At five, coming home five seconds from race winner Andrea De Viziozzo in your very first audience in MotoGP. That is uh, some going from the young Mallorcan, for sure. Um, I see your are Mir, and I'm going to up you with Cal uh, Crutzlow. I think Cal uh, Crutzlow has to be uh, the big winner from this race weekend, not just because he was making a return from a hideous ankle injury sustained last year in uh, the Grand Prix of Australia. Um, there were Real complications with that, I think Crutchlow uh, started cycling um, in December pretty much a month after the break um, getting out of hospital, he went out to California and started uh, trying to pick up his training uh, his training schedule again um, took some time before he could start to walk. I think he had two weeks where he started walking and the the ankle basically became so so painful that he had to stop doing that and it was around this time where I think he got in touch with the LCR Honda squad and uh, crew chief Christophe Bourguignon and expressed some serious doubts as to whether he might even be on the grid in Qatar. He said that uh, he could foresee uh, some lengthy time on the sidelines. Of course, this is an injury. The talus bone in the ankle, when it's broken so comprehensively, I think for your idea of this would lead us to be uh, needing crutches to get around for up to a year or thereabouts. So I think that's the first incredible feat, Crutchlow even being on the grid and uh, being able to to be so physically competitive Um, and then there's the fact that uh, mechanically this wasn't uh, an easy preseason for him either he had a very complicated test um, in Qatar two weeks before the race Um, the first day was so disastrous that basically Lucio Ciacanello cancelled his debrief uh, said that Crutchlow couldn't speak to the media because he knew that he was going to be uh, quite outspoken in his criticism of well, I don't know who off, possibly the team, possibly of Honda, Um, what they had scheduled for that day, it really was not an easy test. I think he ended at 17th. Um, He came into the race weekend, wasn't quick from the off, joked that he needed a sundial to uh, measure his lap times at one stage because he was that far off the pace, but qualified sixth, then was consistently toward the front in the race, um, and with a bike that wasn't quite to his liking, still doesn't have that feeling on the front end that he desires. Uh, and yet he was able to pull a podium out of the hat. And um, yeah, Crutzler I, 17 podiums in MotoGP. Uh, I think he scored podiums uh, at least once in the last eight seasons. Um, if we're looking at other... Uh, Excellent British riders that have competed in the Premier Class in the last 30 years, guys like Neil Mackenzie or Ron Haslam. I mean, um, Haslam scored nine podiums, for example, so is already well ahead of them in that department. Um, and I think uh, after this race, we can expect him to be maybe repeating his feats of last season, where he was uh, a consistent thorn in the side of Marc Marquez and Andrea Vizioso
1: yeah, I mean I think that's a very good shout indeed. Uh yeah, I mean Cal Crutchlow keeps on proving um that he is you know the best British rider in uh, in decades. Um and as you say he's just he just keeps on competing. He's always uh, close. He came back from an amazing injury and yet uh, uh, and yet here he is, but he's sort of back at the front. Uh, more podiums and he's going to sort of he's going to be a feature of the championship I think um uh I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be difficult for everyone who isn't called um uh, Mark Marquez to win the uh, win the championship this year because they've all got to beat Mark Marquez um but I think Cal Grutchlow is going to be in uh, uh in at the front for, for for quite a while so I think um yeah that's 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 definitely uh definitely a very good shout
0: you're a big loser from the weekend div
1: it's um uh it's tough i mean it's it it's tough to say uh, i mean you would want to say yamaha but it's really difficult to say uh, i think if yamaha are the big loser for the weekend it's because we still don't really know where yamaha are the bike is clearly much much better than it was last year they've made a lot of steps um but it's still not sort of. It doesn't seem to be quite there, quite competitive enough to actually get back to winning races and, and, and challenging for the championship. Um, uh, again, Maverick Vinales starts from pole and can't get can't get anywhere near the podium. Um, uh, Valentino Rossi has a shocker of a uh, 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 of a qualifying session. Uh, <laughs> Even Fabio Quartararo, who you felt quite sorry for, um, uh, stalls the bike on the grid and then sort of, you know, has to push it off and start from uh, start from pit lane. It was just a it was just a bit of a rough start for uh, uh, for Yamaha, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd have to uh, go along with that, Dave. Um, I was going to say Vinyales, but you mentioned him there. Um, I guess I'll have to go with uh, with Quartararo because um, he was a guy who qualified fifth, I think it was. Uh, on uh, Saturday. Um, if you take 2017 out of the equation, um, when qualifying was cancelled on the Saturday because of excessive rain, there was no track action and the, the grid was basically assembled from uh, the free practice sessions, the first three free practice sessions that were held on the Thursday, as it was in 2017, and the Friday, um, which meant that Johan Zarco, um, almost by default qualified in fourth, but if you take that out of the equation, this was uh, the best rookie qualifying performance since uh, Lorenzo and James Toseland all the way back in 2008. So that was quite a significant feat, what quarter hour did then. And uh, as his race runs at uh, the preseason test and in FP4 showed, um, I think he could have been a guy that was up there with the leading names. Um, and it was just a, a case of, I guess, uh, first day at school nerves. Um, which caused him to to stall the bike on the grid really um yeah it was a, a rookie mistake essentially um he held us up a, he held his hands up after the race and said as much um and it was just a, it was just a shame because i think we could have seen uh, not just one rookie um, and trying mirror fighting at the front i think we could have seen a quarter arrow there as well um i mean i'm being a bit harsh here saying he's a big loser but the potential was that high i think we could have seen a real shock um certainly in the first half of the race
1: yeah, and also worth saying that his pace was phenomenal once he actually did, get, did sort of did uh, did get running. He wasn't the only rookie to stall on the grid. Miguel Oliveira sort of stalled on the grid as well, um, but Oliveira was smart enough to get into pit lane um, and get out of pit lane on time, and so line up. He lined up on the back at the back of the grid. Um, uh, that's again, I think, just the difference in age and maturity between uh, b- between the two riders. Uh, but you know, like like you say, Quarteraro um he's clearly got bags of talent he's clearly in the right situation he's in the right um uh, he's in the right team the right environment and um, the bike is it, it, it's easy to get uh, to get on with and to take it sort of to quite close to the limit um he had lots of potential and just a yeah, a rookie mistake sort of uh, uh, sort of you know leaves him leaves him out of there. Uh, I, I I would like to um, give an honorary shout out to Romano Fanati as well for um, uh, accidentally taking the uh, the the long lap penalty where or, or accidentally mistakenly taking the long lap penalty when he didn't need to because he misunderstood the message on his dashboard. Um, but um, well, that's. Romano Fanati, really. Um, it's a shame because he could have uh, won because um, he was in such good shape through practice.
0: Yeah, it was another case of uh, potential that went unfulfilled for Fanati. Um, and this one was uh, self-inflicted as well, it has to be said. That's a good shot too, Dave. Um, but uh, yes, Fanati back in Grand Prix, at least he's competitive. But uh, yeah, some of those old feelings uh, still very much apparent Um, So I guess that brings us pretty much to the end of our discussion of the first round of 2019 for this latest episode of the Panic Pass podcast. Um, I would like to uh, thank very much uh, my guest, David Emmett, in this instance. Uh, Thank you very much, David. I'm taking that you're going to be catching up on some sleep this week.
1: Uh, at some point, I will certainly be catching up some on some sleep. First off, all, I have to, have, have to finish up my race roundup, which I still haven't written because um, I'm struggling to to remember what day it is. But um, uh, hopefully you'll get a little bit of free time as well this weekend.
0: Yes, all situations normal. If David Emmett is struggling to remember which day it is, uh, a product, I guess, of uh, several decades uh, spent on this earth. Um, of course, we have the, uh, the second round of the World Superbike Championship in the weekend ahead Uh, taking place all the way out in Thailand. Our man on the ground, Steve English, will be there of course and hopefully he'll be bringing you some uh, World Superbike goodness uh, with uh, uh, World Superbike expert uh, Gordon Ritchie um, which uh, will be a feature on the Panic Pass podcast in 2019. Um, So thank you very much for tuning in for this latest episode. I think it's going to be a fantastic year. You'll all agree with that. It's probably a good time to remind you follow us on Facebook if you can. Facebook.com forward slash Panic Pass podcast. Follow us on Twitter at PanicPassPod. And, uh, well, if you look for or use the Apple Podcast devices or the Apple Podcast app, uh, leave us a review because it really helps other guys, uh, other listeners uh, find the show. Uh, so from me, Neil Morrison, and my host. Oh, fuck. Sorry. You're not my host. Patreon, Neil. You're not my host, are you? no 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 um yes also patreon yeah yeah sorry dave do you want to come in with patreon uh
1: yes uh, also remember to uh support us on patreon if you enjoy what we do uh we were uh, posting nightly roundups um uh after at the end of each uh, uh at the end of each night in qatar um, uh, myself and Neil uh, talked about, a little bit about it, but also we had some exclusive clips from uh, the riders. So um, that's the sort of thing which you are going to get if you are a, uh, pa- if one of our Patreon supporters. So go to patreon.com slash uh, and that helps us make the show even better.
0: Yes, so David, I want to thank you very much for your uh, your presence on this show. Uh, great analysis and insight as always, and uh, we will speak again soon in the very near future. Uh, thank you very much, listener, for tuning in, and uh, see you next time.
1: Thank you very much. Nice. Uh, and then we have to talk a little bit about Yamaha, and then uh, talk a bit about Suzuki. Okay, cool. Or perhaps Suzuki first, and then Yamaha.
0: Sick. Pretty sick.